Page 30, August 27, 2021 Hello all, and welcome to another edition of the Book Nerd Diaries. We're the bi-weekly podcast that dives deep into the latest books we've crossed off of our endless to-read list. Please watch out for spoilers ahead, folks, and let's get our book nerd on. With literally billions of human beings living on the planet right now, it's pretty easy to feel small in the grander scheme of things. No matter what we do, it seems, there are always going to be people who are more successful, more attractive, more talented, and just plain better than we are, it seems. So, what's even the point of trying in the first place? That cycle of despair can be pretty hard to get out of sometimes, and heaven knows I've been there a time or two myself, but it's important to remember that this negative voice in your head is ultimately lying to you. Every single person does matter, no matter how small they feel, and every voice counts, even if only a few people hear it. Our wonderful book today, Victoria Aveyard's Red Queen, is ultimately a story of underdogs. Our protagonist, who I believe her name is pronounced Mari, but don't hold me to it, comes from what can be seen as the lowest tier of a deeply rigged society, but through her own power, she ends up rising far above her station to be at the very center of a battle for her nation's very soul. What ensues is a story of love, espionage, and courage in the face of horrible tragedy. As our book opens, we meet Mari, as she quietly bobs her way through the bustling market of her village, known as the Stilts, secretly picking people's pockets as they pass by her. For a bit of context before we move any further, the society within the world of the Red Queen series is largely divided into two castes, the Reds, who are the struggling peasants and working-class folks who do not possess magic of any kind, and the Silvers, the upper crust of nobles and merchants who were born into wealthy magical bloodlines. This disparity, of course, is a fact which the Silvers largely use to subjugate and flaunt their superiority over the Reds. I will also note here that the Reds and Silvers are so named due to the actual color of their blood. On the first Friday of every month, there is a grand exposition where Silvers pit their powers against each other in gladiator-esque battles in coliseums across the country of Narta, where Mari lives. She is currently taking advantage of the increased traffic by relieving more wealthy market-goers of their items and coins to supplement her struggling family's income. She is suddenly interrupted in her work by the appearance of her best friend and fellow Red, Killorn, with whom she heads to go watch the battles. Mari isn't personally a fan of what she sees to be grandstanding, but Killorn enjoys the battles immensely, and so she humors him. The pair makes their way to the Colosseum, and they watch as a silver 
with superhuman strength, called a strong arm, is overpowered by a whisper, a silver with the power to manipulate others' minds. After the battle, Mari returns home to her modest house, where she shares her winnings of the day with her parents and her sister, Gisa. Gisa, who is a gifted sewer, works as a seamstress for some of the area's most affluent citizens, and is the family's main breadwinner at the moment. She produces a letter that had been mailed to the family by their brother, Shade. He and the rest of Gisa and Mari's brothers, as well as a majority of young, bred, able-bodied men, have been drafted into the military to fight in an endless war between Norta and their bitter enemies to the north, the Lakelands. In the latter, Shade lets his family know that he and their other brothers are all right, and asks them to take care of themselves as well. Mare, who is perpetually scared for her loved one's safety, is deeply relieved by the fact that Shade is all right, and heads to bed. Soon after her head hits the pillow, however, she discovers that this brief respite is destined to be short-lived. Kilorn appears underneath Mari's window, gently tossing pebbles to get her attention, and when she goes out to meet him, he delivers some devastating news. He has just lost his internship, which so far has kept him from being drafted into the army, and he will most likely be deployed on his birthday in just three days. Mari cannot possibly bear the thought of potentially losing her best friend, and so she immediately goes to the one place she can turn to. Will Whistle, a black market trader whom she typically sells her pickpocketed goods to for money, she manages to book safe passage out of the country for herself and Kalorn, but not with Will, but a mysterious female associate of his who happens to be there with him. The price is excessive for someone of Mari's status, but she is willing to do just about anything to keep Kalorn safe, and so she turns to her sister Gisa for help raising the funds. Due to Gisa regularly working with well-to-do clients as a seamstress, Mari proposes going along with her as an assistant to do some pickpocketing on the side, to which her sister reluctantly agrees. Everything starts as planned, but quickly goes very south. When Gisa is caught stealing from a silver, and has her hand brutally crushed by the butt of a gun as punishment, what's more, while this is happening, a highly disturbing news report airs on TV screens all through the square. A rebel group of Reds, identifying themselves as the Scarlet Guard, have just bombed a series of silver-run government buildings as a statement against the perpetual mistreatment of Reds. Such a blatant act of rebellion only serves to further heighten tensions between the Reds and the Silvers, and so Mari and Gisa flee the scene as fights start breaking out all around them. Devastated that Gisa has been injured and robbed of her livelihood, Mari sneaks off to a tavern to try and pickpocket the remainder of the money she needs to save Killorn from the intoxicated patrons. She finds a boy standing outside and chooses him as her first target, but she is unfortunately caught in the act before she can go through with the theft. 
To Mari's surprise, the boy, who introduces himself as Cal, is not upset with her at all, but instead gives her two gold coins and a sympathetic ear as she tells him her story. Before he leaves, Cal informs Mari that he works at the palace, a fact which will quickly be to Mari's benefit. The next morning, a group of palace officials arrive at her house and inform her that she has been hired on as a servant. It turns out that the palace actually needs extra servers for an upcoming high-profile exhibition known as Queen's Trial. During this event, each of the noble silver houses presents their most eligible daughters as possible matches for the king and queen's two sons, Maven and Tiberius the Seventh. Think of the bachelor, kind of. Mari is undoubtedly surprised when the latter is revealed to be none other than Cal, the boy who had given her money the night before. During the opening ceremony of Queen's Trial, each of the eligible competitors for the prince's affections are brought into an arena one by one to put on a grand display of their powers. Some can break statues with no effort at all, and others can make entire gardens burst into bloom around them. One of them, a girl named Evangeline, manages to almost bring down the entire arena around her with her ability to manipulate metal. This causes a number of the audience to flee in fear when the electrified barrier starts falling, threatening to crush or electrocute everyone within its path. Mari is in for, quite literally, the shock of her life, however, when she is not only able to resist the high level of electricity coming from the fence, but accidentally unleashes lightning bolts from her fingers towards Evangeline. This is not an everyday occurrence, as reds such as Mari are not supposed to have any sort of abilities at all. After this dramatic display, Mari tries to flee, but she is soon captured and brought to the king and queen. Mari fears that she is about to be tortured or executed for her actions, but the royals, it turns out, have something very different in mind. Instead of having her killed, they say, she is to be named one of the winners of Queen's Trial and promised in marriage to the youngest prince, Maven. She is to act as a long-lost noble, raised by a red family after her silver parents died, and act as an ambassador to the red population, hopefully quelling the rebellion. Mari does not exactly like the idea of working with the silvers, but the only other alternative is death, and so she finds herself drawn into the treacherous balance of navigating her new palace life and secretly working against them to end the Red's oppression forever. I repeatedly saw Red Queen pop up on lists of popular YA series when I was looking for new titles to read for this podcast, and after checking out this book for myself, I can definitely see why. It's an intriguing mashup of sci-fi and fantasy where magic and technology coexist equally side by side, with a healthy dose of stark social commentary mixed in for good measure. For the closest possible comparison I can make, think of the Hunger Games, mixed up in a blender 
with Leigh Bardugo's Shadow and Bone series. The story is deeply twisty, sharp, and at times highly bleak, much like the two series I previously named. In these pages, you'll find high levels of death, bitter betrayal, and pure pain, mixed in with a fierce kind of love, loyalty, and hope that keeps driving you forward through even the darkest days. As a protagonist, Mare is more than capable of standing on her own two feet, having had to work incredibly hard her entire life just to survive, much like heroines like Katniss Everdeen, or the ladies of Six of Crows and Shadow and Bone. She is a spy, and a revolutionary above all else, willing to do just about anything to ensure the freedom of her people. As such, if you're in the mood for a story with a highly capable, yet equally human and vulnerable heroine, then this series is definitely for you. We will note, however, that this story largely deals with both large and small-scale warfare, leading to some moments that might be pretty intense for some. Please check out the content warnings in this episode's show notes if you plan on reading this book for yourself. This concludes the end of our main discussion for today, folks. But don't fret. There is still more show coming your way after this very quick break. Are you an author, fellow podcaster, or small business owner looking to spread the word about your product or service? Then let us help you. We offer a number of affordable monthly advertising packages in various price ranges, so if you'd like to hear your ad here in future episodes, please head on over to our page at ko-fi.com bndpod and click on the shop tab to see what works best for you. Again, that's ko-fi.com bndpod, then click on the shop tab. We can't wait to work with you. And welcome back, everyone. Now that we are on the other side of our break, it is now time for that absolute nerdiest part of our show, if that's possible, called the Trivia Corner. In this section, we give you a trivia question related to our book in some way, and since we're talking about Red Queen today, we thought we'd head back to high school art class for a second and dive into a little color theory. Ready? Your question is, on the traditional color wheel, red is normally found on the exact opposite side of what color? Is it A, blue, B, yellow, or C, green? Your answer is C, green. Traditionally used as a visual aid for artists, a color wheel can be used to show the relationships of different colors to each other. Particularly in painting, colors that are located on the exact opposite sides of the wheel, known as complementary colors, are often used together or next to each other in order to provide a more eye-catching level of contrast to the overall image. It so happens that this is exactly the case with the colors of red and green, which probably explains 
my holiday decorations are just so much fun to look at. My source for this question today was envisionapp.com, and we'll have the link in the show notes. With that, everyone, we have finally made it to the end of our episode for today. We're so glad you joined us. Before we go, we just wanted to give our deepest thanks to Julie and Katie, aka one of the very best sisters a podcaster could ask for, for being our wonderful supporters on Patreon and truly making what we do possible. If you'd have the means and want to get a whole bunch of monthly perks, we hope you'll head on over and join them over at patreon.com bndpod. Along with this, we'd also like to thank everyone who has taken the time to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, shared our posts on social media, or told the people in their lives about us. Small, independent operations like ours survive on word of mouth, so spreading the word in any way you can is the very best way to help us out for absolutely free. Next week, Friday, September 3rd, we'll have a bonus episode out just for our $5 and up Patreon subscribers, and we'll see you right back here in two weeks to open another page of the Book Nerd Diaries. Catch you then! The Book Nerd Diaries is written, edited, researched, and hosted by me, Amber Wilchin. Thank you so much to the wonderful Astrofreck from Pixabay for the use of our new theme song, The Grand Entrance, and One Tomorrow Too, also from Pixabay, for our incidental music that plays during the trivia corner. If you would like to connect with us online, please follow us on Instagram or Twitter at BNDPod, on Facebook at BookNerd Diaries, or via our website at bndpod.wordpress.com. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes to send my way, please feel free to drop us an email anytime at bndpod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, everyone, please be good to yourselves, because the world needs you. And don't forget to support your local library. <laughs>